0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is Call to War Video Briefing number eight. There are so many unfathomable things that are happening in the world. Right now, as I'm making this video, uh, I don't like these videos to be dated, and so I rarely refer to specific events going on in the time that I'm recording the video because my hope is and faith is that these, the message of each one of these call to war briefings will be applicable for the church and those who are interested and hungry for God up until we finally are taken out of here. But, I am compelled in the spirit to acknowledge in this recording that there the the uh panic over the pandemic in our country has reached uh alarming proportions and uh governments are shutting down gatherings including churches and they drop down do nothing over 250. And now uh, this morning they were saying that you shouldn't have any meeting where there can't be six feet of separation between the two, at least in our County. That's what they're saying. And so all of this, all of this, like uh, it can't happen. Like we can somehow protect ourselves from this. No, 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 it can't. There's one thing that is being discovered so totally crystal clear that anybody that's ignoring it, God have mercy on them, and that is that government is not your God, and government can't save you, and government can't protect you that while I appreciate government and acknowledge the role of human government in God's plan, he discussed all of that, in, Paul did, in Romans 13. So I acknowledge that, and I believe as a citizen of this country, I have a responsibility to obey the laws of the land as long as what the law is telling me doesn't violate the law of God. And as the apostles said, we ought to obey God rather than man, Uh, I can and should obey the government up until the point that they tell me to do things that violate the Word of God. And so if they're shutting down church services, that doesn't violate the Word of God because the church still has the right and the ability to meet in homes if people are willing to do that. If that's already your revelation and structure, you've already in that in place. And it's just a minor adjustment to go from the balance between public worship services and meeting in houses uh, to just meeting in houses because they've shut down the public church services. So the, 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 the spirit of fear is attempting to manipulate man into doing something contrary to the will of God. That's called the spirit of iniquity. And again, God recognizes, and as a child of God, I am responsible for recognizing all duly appointed authority. And I have a responsibility to abide by the laws of that authority as long as those laws are, are not telling me to violate the word of God. It's just like abortion. It may now be legal. It may be legal to do an abortion, but that abortion is wrong in the sight of God. So the fact that the law says it's okay, doesn't make it okay from God's perspective. And the law may forbid something that God's word says, do this. So, In this situation, we're trying to learn to not live by fear and we need to learn to live by peace. Now, this has been the focus of my life for decades and it is my norm. I'm not going to apologize for that and I'm not going to to, uh, fear somebody saying, well, who do you think you are? I know who I am. I'm a child of God. And... The scripture says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And he also said, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. So, that's who I am. I am a child of God that trusts God. (coughs) And every child of God that trusts God should be able to declare definitively, I trust God, so I have peace. And according to Colossians three fifteen, I have learned to let peace rule in my life. Is the King James version, and the Greek says literally uh the word for the word "rule" is to be an umpire or an arbitrator or a decision maker. God doesn't give me a word on everything, and I don't trust people who claim God gives them a word on everything. He doesn't operate like that. He gives us peace. He gives us a word for specific things of importance to him and his plan and purpose. The rest of the time, he tells us to let his peace be our umpire, our arbitrator, our decision-maker. Well, I can't, peace can't lead me. I can't follow my peace uh, if I don't have peace and I have to cast all my cares to have peace. First Peter chapter five, I have to... uh let all my requests be made known with thanksgiving so that I don't have any anxiety so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding the answer to the question, why shall keep guard and preserve my heart and mind. So the peace of God guards my heart and mind and guards my life. And if I allow peace to be my umpire, my decision maker, if I learn to follow my peace, I have peace. I don't have fear. Peace and fear cannot coexist in the same heart and life. They do not. If I have fear, I do not have peace. If I try to tell myself, well, I'm afraid, but I really have peace, then I'm lying to myself. And in the situation we're in right now, the most awesome thing about all of this is that Everybody, if you're being honest with yourself, already knows whether you have fear or whether you have peace. Now, for the believer, if I have fear and not peace, now I've got to make this decision. Does God love me? Because there's no fear in love, because perfect love casteth out fear. So it... What is my reason that I don't, I'm not sure God loves me? So I've got to forgive every grudge that would keep him from loving me, uh, keep me from believing he loves me. I've got to repent of every sin that would keep me from believing he loves me. And I've got to surrender my will to him and cast all my cares on him so that I can know without any negative influence that God loves me. And if I know God loves me, John said, first John chapter four verse seventeen, uh, we can have confidence. The Greek, the King James says boldness, but the Greek word is confidence in the day of judgment. And the Greek word there is krisis, from which we get the English word crisis. This is a day of judgment. It's a day of crisis, and it, it that these days of crisis." that precede the ultimate judgment is for me to see myself, to see where I am, to see where I am in God, to see what my life is, what is my priorities, what am I doing. I say I'm a Christian, but there is fruit of Christianity, love, joy, peace, are three of the nine evidences of the Spirit of the Lord both filling our lives and governing our lives. That's what the Greek word translated spiritual means, for instance, in Galatians 6 and 1, the word spiritual, and other places where the word spiritual is in the New Testament. Most of those, the Greek word there, according to Thayer's, has two definitions. One, one is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. But that doesn't make you spiritual because the other part of that definition is the ultimate determining factor of whether or not I'm spiritual. It is to be governed by the spirit. That means God is in charge 24-7. And I can be full of the spirit and be carnal, Because I'm two-minded. I'm two-spirited. I'm double-minded. And the Greek word there is literally two-spirited. I'm trying to live by my flesh, and I'm trying to live by the Spirit. That's double-minded. And that opens the door to doubt. And the Scripture says that let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. So if I want to be single-minded and have confidence in God that he is my God, he is my Father, he is my protector, then I cannot be too spirited. i got to give up the flesh and walk in the Spirit, as Paul said in uh, both Galatians 5 and in Romans 8, among other places. But that's our problem, you see. That's our problem. God is trying to use these circumstances to reveal to us who and what we are in God. Who and what we are. He's trying to reveal that to us. So we can see. We can see. The two lists that Paul, through the Holy Ghost gave in Galatians 5. Uh, These are the works of the flesh. And then there are the nine characteristics of the fruit of the spirit. These are not do's and don'ts. These are, are you doing this? Then you're walking in the flesh. Are you doing this? then it's the Spirit of God in you that's producing it through you because you are spiritual. You're filled with the Spirit, but also you are yielded to, you are governed by the Spirit. The Lord is in charge, which allows Him to produce through you the fruit of His Spirit. So that's what they are. They're like the gauges on your dashboard in your car. They let you know how fast you're going, how much gas you got, what the temperature of the engine is, what the RPM of your uh, uh your engine is, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All of that's right there for you to see. They're gauges. They don't tell you what to do. They let you know where you are, what the condition of your car is, what's going on. And so it is with these lists in Galatians five. These works of the flesh and these fruit of the spirit is which one defines me. And if I can see myself in both, then I'm double-minded. I'm two spirited. I am trying to walk in both worlds because if I am walking in the flesh and I'm not submitted to God, if I'm not submitted to God, then I my flesh is going to do some works of the flesh. Now, occasionally I may have the fruit of the spirit manifest under my life and I may go back and forth. Sometimes uh, minute by minute, sometimes hour by hour, sometimes I might go a few days living one way or the other. But the bottom line is the fact that I live a life like that proves I'm too spirited And God, in his love and mercy, allows us to go through things. Is God causing this? No, but he sure is allowing it. God's not causing this, but he's allowing it. It can't happen without his permission. Well, I thought I can't believe a loving God would do this. Well, I've said it several times in these videos, in these briefings. What else is a loving God supposed to do if he knows how long eternity is and how much people are totally ignoring that because they this is their life. They want this to be heaven and they want to live forever here. What happens when people are ignoring how long eternity is, how horrible hell is? And the fact that if you go to hell, there's no way out ever. What is a loving God supposed to do when people aren't paying attention to that? If your child is standing on a curb and there's a car coming and you see what's about to happen, are you going to stand back and say, I I don't want to yell, be, stop, don't go on. I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't want to, I don't want to scar him. So you're going to let him step out the road and get killed, right? No, not if you're any kind of a loving parent at all. You're not worried about his feelings. You're worried about his life. And so you're blasting out, stop, no, because you love him. So God, our loving, kind, merciful, gracious, heavenly father, is not going to stand back and let us stand, step out into the traffic of eternity and be killed forever because going to hell is the second death. He came to give us life, not death. But what do you do when the people you died for and the people you love aren't paying attention? When they do pray, all they're praying about is asking you to make their temporal life better. Take away this pain, move this problem, fix this pressure, give me this, stop this, do this. And it's all about here and now. What are you supposed to do if you're a loving God? And that's exactly the way people are living. What are you supposed to do? Well, apparently, you're supposed to allow their whole world to be turned upside down. People who want don't want to know where can I go? What can I do? What am I going to eat? Where am I going to get any toilet paper? What can I do? What can I do? Are we going to have church or how can we have church? Or really? Really? Seriously? That's our Christianity. No, it's not our Christianity. It's not biblical Christianity. I cast all my cares on him because he does the caring. I surrender my life to him. I don't have any problems. They're his problems because I've given them all to him. I've let go of them. I don't know how to fix them. I don't know what to do. I've given it to him because he's my loving heavenly father. The only thing I can control control is my decision. I cannot control the outcome of that decision. You can make your own decision, but you can't make what you decide happen. You can't do it. So we want to hang on to the control of making decisions that we can't even make come to pass. You think this world wants all the stuff that's going on right now? You know how many hundreds of billions of dollars the sports world is losing because of all these canceled events? You know how many hundreds of billions of dollars around the world hotels are losing? Airplane uh, airlines are losing. <sighs> all these all these billions of dollars people you think any of them are choosing that? No. No. And how are companies going to function when people have to work from home? Who's going to buy their products? And now there's all this fear of the delivery. Where has that package been and who's touched it? So who's going to buy with fear, with all that fear? Who's going to buy on stuff online? Who's going to invite a package with coronavirus into their house? So life shuts down. And some places are scrambling to stay open. Restaurants are moving tables out of their dining room so they can put more space between the tables so that people are not so close together. Really? Seriously? That's going to fix it? Huh. You got to put gas in your car Are you going to wear rubber gloves all the time because who touched that pump before you? going out of any door. Who touched that handle before you? If you're living in fear, these signs shall follow them that believe, and my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. What if he's not talking about, in our situation, drinking poison? What if he's not talking about, in our situation, handling snakes? Now, I've heard from a reliable source. I haven't heard how reliable the reliable source is, but somebody I trust that says they know and that they have seen the evidence that this actually started from a snake that's a delicacy in Wuhan that was sold in the market that people ate and then it began to pass on. Because most viruses, most flu viruses or flu-type viruses, actually originate with animals, some type of animals. And while coronavirus is not technically a flu, it is in that category of contagious diseases. So here we are. You know, <laughs> and what are we going to do with that? What's our response to all that going to be? Are we uh, are we going to get in some bubble, this antiseptic bubble? Uh, here's the bottom line. Do all you want to do. Do everything they tell you to do, and they can't guarantee you you won't get the virus. They can't. They don't have the ability to do that. They're not God. They can't do it. Lock every one of us away in some kind of uh, isolation cell and purge that cell and scrub us down with acid individually. And they can't guarantee you're not going to get this virus because they're not God. So what do we do? What do we do? Well, how about this? 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. If you've been paying attention to what I've been teaching and posting lately, this isn't the first time you've heard this verse. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. If I, God, shut up heaven, that there be no rain. And if I, God, command the locusts to devour the land, or if I, God, send pestilence, diseases, Among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will heal their and forgive their sin and will heal their land. I can't believe that you'd say a God of love would do this. I didn't say it, I didn't write that. He did, he spoke this. In fact, in the context, this is spoken by God himself. Right. It's recorded as God talking. If I, God, shut up heaven, there'll be no rain. Man can't do that. And if I, God, command the locusts to devour land, man can't do that. Or if I, God, send pestilence among my people, man can't do that. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So what's the purpose of all this? A loving God loves us so much, he is going to get our attention because he didn't die for you to live in this life. And he didn't die for you. For, for me to have heaven on earth. He didn't die for that purpose. He didn't hang on the cross, give his life in exchange for ours, paying the penalty for our sins to give us a better life here. He didn't do that. He died for our eternity. And it's love. We know the verse, John 3, 16, if for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's not talking about not dying here. It, it's upon it unto man wants to die. The Lord did not come to prevent death from happening to us here. Now, when he said perish, he's talking about eternal death. The second excuse me, the second death. That's the death he's talking about. He's not talking about this. The Bible says precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He has no intention of keeping you and I from ever dying here except for those that will be alive at the rapture. None of us know exactly who that is. I have faith. I believe that I'm going to be alive to rapture. I believe this thing is winding up that quickly and I'm 74. But if I don't, I'm just going to try to die pleasing God because Perishing is not about perishing here. It's talking about perishing there. And dying here is not the issue. Paul said for me to live is Christ and die is gain. Now, why is it most Christians don't have that attitude? Because we don't know God like Paul did. Not because we can't. Because we don't want to. Because we're trying to fit God into our life. And he's saying, what life? You came to me. I've forgave you i paid the penalty for your sins and the idea is for you to become a part of my life not for me to become a part of your life but that's the way it is isn't it we want god to become a part of our lives which means we keep living our lives and now he's a part of it now for many it's kind of like getting married i was single and now i'm married but i'm still me And let me tell you, a marriage that doesn't get along very well is where the guy that was running his life before he got married thinks he doesn't ever have to talk to his wife about what's going on. He has a right to make his own decisions. Yeah, no problem. Go ahead. See how it works for you. Because your wife's not a slave. She's a human being. And women were created second. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I usually do something better the second time than I did the first time. And I'm not saying that God didn't do it well the first time when he created man, but he created a woman second. And she's a whole lot more complex than we are, men. And you think you're going to be able to do that? No. So here we are. We, our Christianity is like getting married to us. We were single, now we're married, but it's still us, so we're still living our own life our way, doing our own things. No. When I got married, my life changed. My priorities changed. My focus changed. When I was single, I didn't belong to anybody but me. But now, the Bible says I don't belong to me anymore. Her body's mine, but my body is hers. Amen. So therefore, if that's the type of our Christianity, I come to God. I'm not just adding God to my life. He's adding me to his life. I'm not just adding God to my plans, making room for God in my plans. I'm, he's making room for me in his plan, except he already had that room made before the creation of the earth. He had already foreknown all of us and made a place in his plan for all of us. Question is whether or not we're going to abide by that, whether we're going to fit into that, whether we're going to do his will and surrender to his plan for us. We've got a plan for God. He's going to help us do this and help us do that. Hogwash. It is not his plan to help you and I do what we want done. God's going to help us. No, he's not going to help us. He will help us do what he wants to do. and He will help us do what we're supposed to do in him. But he's not going to help us do our thing. We're on our own. And that's why a lot of Christians, they go to church. Christians, they go to church. They put in their time. They try to keep their eternal life insurance policy premiums paid up by fulfilling their religious obligations. But they're not a part of him, and he's not a part of them the rest of the time. Well, let me tell you what the Bible calls that. Sin. That may be good religion, where you're from, it may fulfill all of the obligations of traditional religion and even traditional Pentecostalism, where you're from. But from where I'm sitting, looking at the word of God, that's called sin. It's sin. And when Israel was doing their own thing and not obeying God, he loved them so much, he allowed droughts to happen. He allowed them to plant and the crops grow, and before they could harvest them, he allowed swarms of locusts to come and eat all of their future food. And he allowed diseases to come and smite them to get their attention. And oh, the day we're living in, this is so horrible. We're not supposed to punish our children when chastise our children. We're not supposed to correct them. You may damage them. So we let them grow up and become hooligans. That word, A, dates me, doesn't it? Let them think that they can live anyway. Well, you know, until they try to get a job and find out people aren't going to pay them to do what they want to do, to show up when they feel like it, leave when they want to. And all of a sudden, they're betrayed in life because they were raised to believe that they had the right to just live any way they wanted to, do whatever they want to do, except there's nobody going to give them money to do that. Except the government. <laughs> the government? Yeah, oh, the government. The government's the one that wants to give them money to do that. How stupid is that? How stupid is it? The Bible says if you won't work, neither shall you eat. Well, what if I don't have a job? Well, if you're willing to work, God will give you a job. Because the scripture says he that won't provide for his own has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's in the Bible. That's in the book. So does that sound like God doesn't expect people to work? He told he told Adam in the garden after Adam sinned, You're going to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Well, let me tell you something right now. That hadn't gone anywhere except that it has gone someplace because we're now all expecting something from nothing, even from God. Well, I got bad news for that attitude. It's not going to happen. And if you want something from God to get it, it's going to call be called repentance. We've got to repent. We've got to repent. Now, here's what God is looking for. Psalms 27, boy, what what wonderful verses these are if they just applied to us. And they don't apply to everybody. They apply to those that have given themselves to God and become a part of him rather than him just becoming a part of them and their schedule. Psalms 27, one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Hello? What does that sound like? The person whose life belongs to God. This is what they can say. This is what they can declare. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or what shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom? Of what shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, what about virus cells, come upon me to eat up my flesh. <laughs> that sounds like a virus, doesn't it? They stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should arise against me, in this will I be confident. Hello? Hello? Does this describe you? Does this describe your attitude? Does this describe your spirit? Does this describe your faith? Does this describe your Christianity? If it doesn't, then it's time to repent. Because God's no respecter of persons. This is real. This isn't hypothetical. It's not theoretical. And it's not just theological. This is real practical stuff. You can live like this. You can have this. This can be your faith. This can be your spirit. But it's going to cost you something. Uh, Actually, it's going to cost you someone. It's going to cost you you. He said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you'll save it. That's the book. How many times did Jesus say that? And even though we haven't had a clue what that means, it's like the the preacher in the Hawaiian Islands in the 1800s where all these people had leprosy and they put them on the island of Molokai in a leper colony. And he believed it was the will of God for him to go and minister to those people, knowing how contagious leprosy was. And he ministered to those people and died. But the time gap between when he got there and when he died of leprosy was 30 years. He ministered among lepers every day for 30 years before he got leprosy And died. The Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came up upon me, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. What is it? Here's a prayer. God always answers that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in the presence of God, all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, that's applied to the Jews naturally, but applies to the church spiritually. So it's not talking about a literal house we go to, and it's not talking about uh, 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 some liturgy or whatever we go through. This is talking about us and God, God and us. So one thing about desire to the Lord, and that will I seek after. I want to know him, Paul said. I want to know him. I want to know him. So, and Paul said, whatever it cost me, everything that was gained to me, that I've lost, I'm not going to grieve over it anymore. I'm going to count it lost for Christ. And everything I have and could get, could lose, I count it all lost right now. For the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things that do count them but dung. See, that's the problem. You want to know where you are in God? How much fear do you have over what you could lose, including your life? And how much peace do you have over the fact that You've already given it all to God, and he can do with it whatever he chooses because this is a temporary life. 74 years. You think that's old. I don't. I don't know where it went. And you want to get old? Well, I am old by man's definition. And here I am. And where did it go? It's a blink of an eye. I, I've got this collection of memories that... I have to sit down and and purposely put them in a time frame to even remember how old I was when that memory happened because it's just all memories. Life is a vapor. This life is a vapor. And you can't hold on to a vapor. And if you try to hold on to a vapor, you're going to lose it. So why not give it all to him right now and say, Lord, you do with me whatever you choose. You got stuff for me to do? Then you leave me here, give me the strength to do it, and do it through me. Let me be your conduit. You're done with me? Take me out of here. Aren't you afraid of getting coronavirus? What, and go to heaven? Seriously? I've lived all my life to go to heaven. And I'm going to fear going to heaven now? Well, do you want to die? No, I don't want to die. I'm not afraid to die. Paul said, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. Right now, I prefer to live as Christ because my whole life is focused on seeing people saved and seeing the saved grow in God, to know God. And for him to know them in an approved relationship, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. That's my whole focus of my life. But if he's done with me, that's gain. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love this church, Antioch Church. I love my brethren. I love that. I love all that. Thankful for all that. All of them. I love them, but not more than him. And when he's done, I'm done. And I've said to people, and I mean it. If I die, don't be the one that calls me back from the dead. When I cross the finish line, leave me on the other side of the line. What about all those that are sorrowing? Then come join me when it's your time. But I'm not coming back. I don't want to come back. Now, if God required me to come back, that's different. But I don't want to. Are you, are you are you trying to die? No, I'm not trying to die. Most of the stuff I've been believing for all my life, I haven't seen yet. And I'm going to see it. I believe that with all in everything in me. That's one reason I am taking my time, my time. To make these videos, sitting in this studio, looking at this business end of this camera, talking to people I see in my spirit, and only in my spirit, knowing that God is talking to you, and knowing that what he is saying through me is not influenced by what I see and what I'm feeling from you. It's only what he's wanting to say. How awesome is this? But I could be doing other things. I'm 74. Most people think I have a right to be retired. I have an awesome retirement plan: streets of goals, mansions, fellowship with Jesus 24 seven. What 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 an awesome retirement plan! I'm not being facetious. I mean every word of it. So why am I why, what am I going to be afraid of here? The Bible says the Lord is my helper. Paul said it quoting the Old Testament. The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what men will do unto me. Even men who in unintentionally cross the red yellow line and hit me head on. Or even people who unintentionally put their hands with virus on a, on a doorknob that I touch. I'm not going to fear what man's going to do unto me. And according to the government, the only way I get this is from other people. I'm not going to fear them. Why? I have the Lord. And I I make those statements and people say, so you believe nothing's going to happen to you. I didn't say that. It doesn't matter if something happens to me because it will be his will for me. And I trust him. He loves me and I trust him. And he is in control of my life. Now, maybe The only one in control of your life is you and therefore you're terrified. But I gave up all the control of my life to him, my father who is in heaven ruling over all this. And there is nothing that can be done to me and nothing that can happen to me except by his permission. If the devil could have killed me, he killed me a long time ago. And if I die, It'll only be with God's permission. Why, why, how, how can I say all these things? Because how else is the wor- church supposed to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature if we're afraid of those creatures? <gasps> They're going to persecute me. They're going to kill me. They're going to give me a virus. They're going to steal from me. They're going to beat me. So I don't belong to me. And I look what happened to Paul. And am I better than Paul? No, nope. I'm better than Paul. I look what happened to the man Christ Jesus. Am I better than the man Christ Jesus? No. I look what happened to all the apostles. Am I better than the apostles? No. So I'm going to pray and ask God to protect me from the very things that, that happened to him. That happened to the apostles. I'm going to pray and ask him to not let that happen to me. Jesus prayed, but he prayed the right way. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. So one thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, And to inquire in his temple. For in his time, in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. That's exactly how Stephen died. He died with the praises of God on his mouth and the glow of God's presence on his face and peace in his heart and life that radiated out, that made his captors and his executors so absolutely angry and brought conviction to a young man's heart named Saul who became Paul. Because it's one thing to show people how to live. It's another thing to show people how to face death. And whether we live or die because of this virus, church, we need to show people how to live without fear and face death according to the will of God. But I I want to live much longer. (laughs) So did Hezekiah. And what a terrible thing that was. God said, you're going to die. Hezekiah said, no, I want to live. God said, okay. You don't want to do my will. You don't want to listen to me. You don't want to trust my love for you. you got 15 more years. I guarantee you, Hezekiah wished he could have taken those 15 years back. He went from being one of the greatest kings in Israel's history to one of their worst. He sold Judah out. Deliver them up to the Babylonians just to try to save his own hide. So, hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. No, excuse me, let me go back up. And now shall my head be filled, lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou said it, seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee. Thy face, Lord, will I see." And if you can't hear God, would you hear the circumstances? If you can't hear the voice of God calling you to prayer, can you hear drought, plagues of locusts, and pestilences of diseases trying to get our attention? When I'm hanging on to stuff and making it my God, even though I claim to be a Christian more than God, God's a jealous God. And he loves you and I so much, he just starts taking stuff. said, you want me now? You want me now? You want me now? Because ultimately, as Paul discovered to have him, I have to count it, everything is lost for Christ. Those aren't just little words or nice-sounding words by this superhuman called Paul, this half-human, half-angel Paul. No, he was very human, and he, too, had to do exactly what you and I have to do, and that is give ourselves up to God. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, O Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God, of thy salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the hand of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Stop. Stop. <clears throat> Start Here it is This is where we are today God Loves us Both the saved And the unsaved so much That he has turned Our world upside down He's turned it upside down Why Because he's heard the cry of those who have completely given themselves to him. God, whatever you've got to do to save this world, do it. Whatever it takes, God, save this world. Don't let this world face the seven years of wrath and then eternity without something happening to get their attention. And oh, how angry that makes the idolater. Oh, how angry that makes the worker of iniquity. Oh, how angry that makes the one that wants to be in control and refuses to give up their life and trust to God. How angry it makes them. So be it. But it's happening anyway. And myself and many others have been praying for years. Whatever it takes, God, whatever it takes. When God got ready to deliver Israel out of bondage in Egypt, the Hebrew children, out of bondage in Egypt, what did he use to get that done? He used plagues and diseases to finally set his people free. And I know the world is would ha- is, hates this. I know they do. And I know that If I was being interviewed right now, they would think I had lost my mind. Yeah, I have. Not just my mind, but my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Lost all of me. Because I lose my life willingly that I might find it. Because he said, if any will be my disciple, let him come after me. Deny himself daily take up his cross and follow me. So if I'm going to be his disciple and follow him, I've got to, Luke 9, 23, I've got to disavow ownership of myself. I've got to deny myself, take up my cross daily. My cross, cross is not a place of comfort. Cross is a place of death, constant dying out to And follow him. And those that don't believe that are not his disciples. And those that are not by the grace of God doing everything they can to be submitted to God and live like that, they're not saved. They can call themselves saved all they want. They can call what they're doing Christianity all they want. But the only people that are going to be saved are his disciples. That's the Word primarily used in the Gospels after about chapter 9 or 14 of Acts, it's never used again in the entire New Testament. The word that replaced it is saint. A saint is not just a follower of Jesus, but one that is filled with his divine nature. So, disciple, saint, same thing. Those are the ones that are saved. And what does it cost? Be saved everything. The Nazi martyr, the uh, German theologian who was killed by the Nazis because he refused to surrender to them spiritually and intellectually. He wrote this and it is true today because it, it's not a quote of the Bible, but in principle, it's right out of the Bible. Salvation free but discipleship is going to cost you everything. And he wrote that before he knew the ultimate price for himself. He was in and out of prison several times and they finally killed him. They killed him. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Well, I don't want to to die till it's time to die. But the will of God is the will of God is the, the Lord had directed me at the first part of this year to speak as his conduit to be the catalyst for a, an effort called Call to War 2020. This is what the Lord is asking of those that will follow him, not me, him, that from March through September, six months, that at least one day every month, that every church will do a round-the-clock prayer and fast that day, at least one day every month. What is the purpose of these six months? Repentance and revival. And I can't be revived without repentance. I have to have repentance, rededication, reconsecration, resubmission of myself to God so that I could be renewed and restored and then revived. I have to do that. But then after that six months, in October, the Holy Ghost is asking every church that will to fast one day a week for the first three weeks of October, one day a week, round-the-clock prayer one day a week, and do warfare against the spirit of iniquity, the God of this world, in being the restrainer, the withholder, Second Thessalonians chapter two says the body of Christ is called to be. And then the last week of October, Tuesday through Friday nights, October 27 through 30, we're going to have a worldwide prayer meeting for everybody. that will join in. What time does it start? Whatever time you gather to pray, how long is it supposed to go till as long as you're done and the Holy ghost is done each night. And For those who want to do this, as with the call to war uh, seminars, I will be doing streamed directed warfare prayer during those four nights. If you choose to show it uh, one or more nights in your group and pray along with us uh, specifically, you're welcome to do that. If you choose not to do that, no problem at all. Just join us before the throne of grace and pray. Let's come boldly before the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray in Jesus' name that the Spirit of God is talking to your heart like he's talking to my heart and hundreds and thousands of others of his people and calling us to pray. And not just pray devotional prayer, but pray prayer of restraining and holding back the spirit of iniquity so that the lost of this world can be freed of their blindness and delivered from his power so that they can be saved. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let that be so. Amen. God bless you.